back from? He's come back from the pig slop. He's nasty. He's gross. And when the father says, go, he doesn't say, go to the shower. <laughs> Dress robe that I own, absurd. And put it, see, we call this story the story of the prodigal son because Paul needs to be recklessly extravagant. Son who's extravagant, extravagant with his father's wealth. It is the father who is recklessly extravagant with his love toward this son who completely does not deserve it. So he goes and he gets the best robe. He puts it on him. He, he hugs him. He runs to him. Commentators have pointed out that this is not what a Middle Eastern patriarchal man would have ever done. Um, for a man in that time to run would meant he would have had to pull up his robes and bare his legs, something that would have been completely shameful, completely embarrassing. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around that, but would have been, it would have been the talk of the town. And he ran. It was a big deal. And commentators have pointed out that the father in this story acts much more like a mother than he does a father. And he goes up and he kisses his son and he hugs him and he's like, over, he's so affectionate. And of course, what happens? He throws a party. He throws a big party. There's music and there's dancing. And the older son hears about all this. He's like, oh, what happened? There's music and dancing. Did something good happen? Like, no, your younger son came back. Your younger brother came back and we're throwing a party. And he is livid. He is absolutely furious. Why on earth? My dad always does this. He's so reckless. He's so irresponsible. How on earth could he love him when he by his actions, said he didn't even want to be in the family anymore. He took what was his and he left. Why on earth would he receive him back? And especially, why would he receive him back with such extravagance? And so the son, he's, he's mad. He can't understand. And so in the middle of the party, the dad, the father, goes out to the, the older son, which would have been incredibly shameful and embarrassing. Whoops. These are always fun. You guys tell me. Does that look like it's staying? No. Okay. At least you're honest. <laughs> okay. Is that a little better? Ish. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So the, the father leaves the party. Okay. Now for a man who's a patriarchal figure of the family to be throwing a party for his guests and, and they would have invited, I'm sure, like the whole town. For the older son to refuse to come in would have been incredibly disrespectful. And for the father to leave the party, to have to go talk to his son who wouldn't come in would have been humiliating and embarrassing. But he does it. He goes out and he pleads with his son. He says, come into the party. And the son can't believe it. He says, I've always done what you've asked. I've always obeyed you. Anytime you asked me to do anything, I did it. And notice that the father doesn't argue with him. The father doesn't say, no, you've actually been a bad son. He doesn't say that. From all accounts, we can tell the older son was actually a very good son. He was very obedient. When that father asked him to do something, he went above and beyond. He did it. He, he was good. And then he says, everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate when this, this brother of yours came back. And how does the older brother 
react? Does he repent? Does he come into the party? Does everything go well? Jesus ends the story. Jesus ends the story. Now, this would not have been lost on the people he was talking to. Because essentially what Jesus is setting up this whole story to say, you guys are the older brothers, and it's up to you whether you're coming into the party or not. Now, obviously that's Jesus' primary point here, is the people he's talking to. But there's some really deep, interesting things that Jesus is saying about the nature of God, what God is like, what human nature is like, what we are like. And so I want to talk through three things briefly this morning. I want to talk about younger brother and his sin. I want to talk about the older brother and his sin. And I want to talk about, thirdly, what they both need. Now, the younger brother, for us, represents what we commonly think about when we think about people who are sinners. When we think about people who rebel against God and go and do what they want. He thought that if I could just be away from my dad, but have my dad's stuff, I'll be happy, I'll be satisfied, I'll enjoy life. Is that not the story of our culture that is prevailing and growing today? We don't need God, we don't need that authority, we don't need somebody telling us what to do, you know, we, we don't need all that. If I can just, you know, try to be a good person on my own and do what I want to do, everything will be okay. That is a great lie that we believe today. That if I could just be on my own and be my own master, be my own God, everything will be okay. Um, to illustrate this in culture a little bit, I'll tell you a couple of instances so a few years back, um, Carl's Jr., you guys know Carl's Jr.? They have him over here? Okay. Um, I don't know. Been away too long. <laughs> they, um, they, got, they were starting to get some negative feedback because in their ads, they were uh, putting up really skimpy-dressed women to kind of sell burgers. And this is a direct quote I have from the spokesman, and I, I just couldn't believe it. I had to write it down when I saw it. He had this to say. He said, we believe in putting hot models in our commercials because ugly ones don't sell burgers. We believe that life is short, so if it feels good, do it, and if it tastes good, eat it. At least he was honest, I guess, right? But he was defending, this is why we're putting hot models in our things and trying to sell burgers. And he was a little bit brash about it, but that's kind of the prevailing mindset of the day. If it tastes good, eat it. If it feels good, do it. Right? You don't need anybody to tell you. You could just follow your dreams. You know, just watch almost any movie. And it, to some degree, the message of the movie is, if you will just be your truest self, if you will overcome any obstacle and what anybody else says about you and be who you were meant to be and follow what is truly in your heart, you will be happy and everything will be great. I mean, we are, we are just in love with that story as a culture. Um, let, me give, let me give you an example. Um, okay, if you have young daughters, I'm sure you, you've had enough of this song, Let It Go, okay, by Frozen. And um, there's this point where the, you know, the ice princess, hopefully, I won't sing it, I don't want to get it. It's one of those songs, it just gets stuck in your head, you know, it's just like, get out of there. Okay, so there's time where uh, she goes to the castle and listen to the lyrics of some of the song. She says, I don't care what they're going to say. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. 
I'm free. It's absolutely what we are in love with as a culture. I don't need anybody. If I could just do what I want to do and be left to myself, um, that, I mean, that's, that's the American dream. Um, of course, it's interesting in that story even that when she does that, she kind of like ruins the whole kingdom and puts everybody in the eternal winter. It doesn't work out very well. Um, but that's what, we, that's what we believe. We're so suspicious of authority. We're so suspicious that having a God and having a, you know, anybody that we would see as a judge or moral police over us would somehow make our lives better. We just, we absolutely categorically reject that as a culture. We're like the young son who says, I want to go away from, from the father. But when we do, we don't know what to do with the wealth he's given us. We're like the son who says, I don't want you, God. I just want your stuff. But once we get it, we're not satisfied. Once we, you can try following your heart. You can try trying to be happy. It won't work. But notice with the younger son, it took him until he was face deep in slop before he finally realized it. Unfortunately, sometimes it has to happen in our lives. That's the younger brother's sin, the rebellion, the I don't need God, the irreligion. Okay? Now notice the, second, the, younger, the older brother's sin. The oldest son thought, if I am loyal to my father, if I do what he asks of me, if I don't misbehave, if I don't get into trouble, if I tell the truth, um, if I'm loyal, he'll bless me. And I'll get what's due to me and everything will be good. And, and he throws that in the father's face. He said, I've always done that. Why, ha- why aren't you blessing me like you're blessing him? Now let me ask a question. Think about it. If, if, if we weren't preconditioned to see the older brother as a bad guy, um, I think we'd see him as a good guy. He represents the morally upright. He represents those who go to church, those who give, those who read their Bibles every day, those who try really, really hard to obey God and do what he asks. There's nothing about him that shows us that he's just this malicious, evil man. He's trying to do good. But let me ask this. Why is he doing it? Is he doing it because he loves his father or is he really doing it for himself? He's doing it for what he's going to get out of it. Now, the, the trouble with religion is that the two look very alike. And they look, they look exactly the same sometimes. That someone who's going through all the motions of religion because they think God will bless them. And someone who's doing it because they love their father, they may look exactly the same. And that's why it's so hard. He's doing this because he thinks he's going to get something out of it. In fact, you don't even have to be particularly religious to think this way. I've had more than one conversation with people who don't believe in God at all. They say, I'm atheist, I don't don't believe in all that stuff. But when you get to talking, one of the first things they're going to put out, I just, every time, every time I get in this conversation, it comes up. And they say, well, but if there is a God, surely he'd accept me because I pay my taxes, I'm a good person, I've never murdered anybody, you know, I I don't cheat on my spouse, you know, I'm, I'm a good neighbor, so surely he's going to let me in, right? He, just like the older brother, I, if he's going to bless anybody, surely it's me because I've been good. Unfortunately, I think this is the default mode of the human heart. This religiosity, this sort of older brother symptom. And you probably, I have it so deeply in me. <laughs> 
I'll just start there. Let me just carefully say, you probably have it deeper in you than you care to realize. We often don't realize how much we're using God to get what we want until God takes away the benefits of following him. I never thought that I based my self-worth and my spirituality and my love for God based on how good a preacher I was or having a job or being able to provide for my family until I didn't have a job. And then I was mad at God because I had been faithful and he should have done something for me. And it was then that he exposed in my heart, did you really love me for me or did you love me for what you got out of it? That is totally what the older brother is. Older brothers obey God to get things. Gospel people love God to get God. They obey God to get God. They obey God because they love him. Because they want to see a smile on his face. Because they're his children. And it's so imperceptibly the same. Human nature, I'm afraid, and I... The more, the more I read the Bible, the more I'm aware of this in my own heart, the more I'm aware of this in, in people around me, that human nature is not to love God, but to use God. That we are by nature exploiters of him. And we may say, I love him, but what if he stops blessing you? What if you get sick? What if someone close to you gets sick? What if... Um, being a Christian means you lose your job, period. And there's no like greater silver lining on the other side and there's some amazing thing and, and it all works out and it's all wonderful. What if it means you lose your job and then you struggle? Do you still love him? Do you love him because he's good? Do you love him because he's your father? Or do you love him be on the condition that you get certain things? See, I think naturally we tend to think of people in, as good people and bad people. But if this story shows us anything, it's that there, there is no such thing. There is only bad people. There are only users of God, but they do it in two different ways. We either do it through rebellion, where we say, I don't need you, I don't, I don't want you, I'm going to be on my own. Or we say, we do it through religion. And I'm going to use God and milk God to get what I want because I'm doing so good. Um, now, as I read this story, as you read this story, who do, who do you relate to? I'm afraid, if I'm honest, I always seem to see myself as the younger brother. But if I'm honest, God was revealing to me, Josh, you are the older brother. You are absolutely the older brother. When we begin to see our identity as children of God, and we receive his love and grace for us, we, stop, we learn to stop striving all the time. We learn to quit the, um, I, don't even know, I don't know what to call it, the inner strife. Now, we all want to believe we've done that. We all want to believe we've done that. But let me ask you, if that's true, if you have received the love of the Father and, and the, the gospel is inside of you and it's working inside of you, and you would say, no, I am, I am free, why do we freak out when stuff doesn't go the way we want it to? Why does stuff get to you the way it does? 
Why does it bother you so much when people do this or that? Why do you get so stressed out? Why do we get so stressed out? If we really believe I am at home with the Father and his love is all I need, would, I, would we all be able to guess that by looking at the results of our life? I, I know one of the first times, I'll share with you one of the first times that this began to hit home with me and began to penetrate my heart. Um, I've struggled with uh, depression for as long as I can remember. I grew up in a broken home. My, my parents got divorced when I was three, and uh, they each got divorced and remarried two more times before I graduated high school and um, went through a lot of hard things. And, and I can't remember a time when I didn't feel some level of guilt and self-hatred almost all the time. And I remember, um, you know, when I became a Christian, I thought that would get better. But what happened was, when I became a Christian, all of a sudden there was now more standards, more um, morals and standards of spirituality and living that I felt like I wasn't living up to. So in some degree, it got worse. I felt more depressed. I felt more discouraged. I felt more guilt-ridden. I felt more... um, guilty than I ever had before. And if you asked me, Josh, do you believe in the grace of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the mercy of Jesus Christ? I said, absolutely. Absolutely, I believe that. But I didn't, not really. One day I was reading in Romans 4, and this this verse just hit me like a ton of bricks. And in verse 5 it says, however, to the one who does not work, I thought, oh, that's me. I'm not working enough. But trust God who justifies the ungodly. I thought, oh man, that's me, the ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. And I thought about it, and I realized something. I had been telling myself, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. And I realized, that's true, I'm not good enough. I'll never, ever, ever be good enough. But in Christ, God sees me as good enough. (laughs) That through Christ, I am justified, freed, forgiven, and adopted. And all he wants me to do is rejoice in that. And I tell you, from that moment on, there began to grow in me a peace and a joy that I had never experienced before. Now let me tell you, before that, I man, I thought I was the younger brother who had received the love of the Father. I, I thought that was me. But I wasn't. And maybe for you it has nothing to do with that. Maybe you have your own kind of self-justification. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your family being just right and having everything the way you think it should go. We all want to believe, we all want other people to believe ours is the only family without any problems, right? Um, I hate to break it to you, everybody's family's got problems. Or maybe it's control, you're so used to trying to have everything in your life go a certain way, and as long as you feel in control, and as long as everything seems kind of tip-top shape, you feel okay, and then the minute some, something starts to break down, you kind of lose it. Because your self-justification is built on you being Lord of your life. And you would say, I believe Jesus, I believe in the gospel, but the reality of your life shows that you don't really trust in the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, you trust in your own. That's a big one for me. Maybe it's your idea of what a good life is. If I could just get married, if we could just have kids, if we could just have a house that's a little bigger than the one we have. I don't want a mansion. I just want a little bigger. Once we get there, then everything will be okay. 
If I could just get a better job than the one I have now, if we could just make a little bit more money, then I'll be happy. What is your gospel? What is it that for you is actually good news, that you rejoice in, that you hope for, that you look for? Is it Jesus? Now, the truth is, until God reveals in each of us, to some degree, where we are the older brother and where we are using God and we are seeking justification in something other than him, it will be really difficult to receive his grace. But once he reveals that to you, the truth is both, both sons needed the same thing. You know what they needed? They needed the self-initiating love of the father poured out on them. Notice the first son. We, we like to focus on the first son. The vulnerability and the embarrassment of the father going out into the field and, and throwing the party and all that. And it's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. But in the party, the older brother who's using his father to get what he wants, the father still has to leave the party, go outside the party. He still has to embarrass himself to go out and plead with his son to come in. What did he need? What did they both need? Whether they were religious or non-religious, we all need the love of God poured out for us. And the good news is that Jesus has absolutely done that for us. That this is a picture of who Jesus is and what he's done. That he left the gates of Jerusalem. He left his home with the Father to go out and be crucified. To be beaten and mocked and embarrassed and humiliated because of his utter, recklessly extravagant love for us. And what he wants for us is for us to rejoice in that. For us to look at him and trust in him. There's two takeaways, briefly. I want, I want, at least I want to take away from this. Number one, we're probably in worse shape than we care to admit. We're probably in worse shape than we care to admit. The more I read the scriptures and the more um, God presses in on me, the more aware I am that I am a sinner at the table of grace and I am no better than anybody. It is God's grace that he would reveal to you your sin. Because only then can you, like the younger brother, come to your senses and see how beautiful and amazing his love is. The older brother is the only one in the story who never gets to see himself. He doesn't actually come to his senses. He doesn't actually see himself for what he is. If he could, he could have finally seen the love of the Father. That's the second thing I want you to take away. That you are more loved by God than you could possibly fathom or imagine. You are more loved by him than you could possibly imagine. Maybe you're like me and didn't grow up with a great father figure. Whatever your father figure is, I pray that it would be the father in this story out in the field, looking, longing, waiting for you to come home, wanting to wrap his arms around you, wanting to love you, wanting to just shower his grace upon you. Because look, it has nothing to do, absolutely nothing to do with how good you are. It has everything to do with how good he is. And praise him that he loves us regardless. Amen? My prayer is that we would be nourished by his love, that we would receive his love, that you would trust in it wholeheartedly, that it would shape us and mold us and change everything about us, that the striving would cease. Let's pray.
Father, I come to you expressing that we are sinners. Father, I sin against you so often, just so selfish. Father, I often wonder whether my motives are pure. Father, thank you for so continually in your word giving us an accurate picture of ourselves, but more than that, giving us an accurate picture of you, of your glory, of your goodness, of your grace towards us. Thank you that you are the good, good Father. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving home with the Father so that we could be brought in, so that we could be adopted. Father, I pray for all of us this morning. Would you just open our hearts to receive that? Would you nourish us? Would you help us to look away from our idols and the things we trust in and to fully trust in and to fully rejoice in you and to see fruit from that? Help us to preach that to others. Help us to remind that in each other. Thank you. Thank you for being so good. Thank you for your grace. So we don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious. You are in control and you love us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.